This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. For the best way to fall asleep with nightfalls, you can now become a premium supporter. Enjoy the entire back catalogue of Nightfalls classics, all with a rich, immersive, and totally ad-free experience. If you love falling asleep to Nightfalls, Nightfalls Premium will elevate your sleep while helping to support myself and the team. We love creating Nightfalls, but without supporters, it wouldn't be possible. Join Nightfalls Premium today in just two taps on both Apple Podcasts or via the Supercast link found in the show notes for all other podcast players. Your sleep will thank you for it, and so will I. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hi, I'm Jeffrey, and welcome back to Nightfalls. Come, settle in for tonight's calming meditation and soothing bedtime story. As always, don't worry if you fall asleep before the end. You can drift off whenever you're ready. Come. Join me beside the campfire tonight and allow yourself to be transported to the stunning island of Appledore where a young, reluctant Billy Wentworth is sent for his summer holidays. Billy discovers that there's still much adventure to be had and joy to be found in a little fishing island out in the North Atlantic where life plods along rather slower than he happens to be used to. Before we journey to the rugged island of Appledore tonight, why not take the opportunity to wind down and relax from the day? Come to a comfortable position and allow your eyes to gently drift closed. Take a moment to breathe, to be, 
as you settle in to the perfect stillness of the night. As you lie there relaxing, pay attention to the gentle tide of your breath as it drifts in through your nose and out through your mouth. Try not to interfere with it. Simply allow yourself a moment to be grateful for the thousand natural processes to help you thrive day in, day out. On your next in-breath, remind yourself that you're enough. As you exhale, let go of the pressure you feel to be anything more than who you are at this very moment of your life. Inhaling, feel your thoughts being called back to your body from wherever they are, from whatever they are busy worrying about. Exhaling, let go of whatever came to pass today and release any expectations you have for the future. Breathing in, allow your body to draw your mind into the present. Feel your pulse thrum in your fingers and toes. Feel the soft bed sheets beneath you. Feel the way your breath filters in and out of your body. Let another warming breath drift slowly in through your nose and fan out over your lips. Know that with each breath, you're anchoring yourself in the present moment. Now, if you're feeling ready, tonight's story can begin. Two big willow trees guarded the entrance to Captain Salsby's place. Willow trees with such huge, rough trunks and such thick, gnarled branches that they might have almost been oaks. For fifty years they had bent and rocked before the furious winter storms, had bowed their heads to the showers of Salisbury and had trembled under the shock of the thundering surf that often broke on the rocks below them. They had seen tempests and wrecks and thrilling rescues upon that stretch of sea, across which they had looked so long. They had battled with winds that had been too much for more than one of the ships flying for shelter to the harbour of Appledore. It was no wonder that they showed the stress of time. Billy Wentworth stood hesitating at the gap in the wall, looked up at the swaying, pale green branches above him, and down at the green and white surf rolling in on the shore below, sniffed at the keen salt breeze, and tried to tell himself that he did not like it. 
He was so thoroughly discontented that he could see nothing pleasant in the sunny stretch of open water. The glitter of the tossing white caps and the line of breaking waves about the lighthouse a mile away. To spend the summer on a little two-by-four island with an old maid aunt was his bitter reflection. To have nothing on earth to do and no one to do it with is just too hard. I won't stand it long. He stumped the toes of his boots in the dust of the narrow path with as much obstinate sulkiness as though he were six years old instead of sixteen. In spite of what he had been thinking, he had stood staring for some minutes at the big, curling waves as they rolled in, receded, and came foaming up among the rocks again. Indeed, he had been watching with such fascination that he could scarcely tear his eyes away. He had seen the Atlantic Ocean for the first time in his life, only a few hours ago, and he was still trying, with some success, to convince himself that he did not like it, and never would. He strolled aimlessly along the path which he had been told led to Captain Salsby's little house down on the point. There was a vague desire in his mind to look upon a live sea captain, since he had never seen one before. The feeling was not strong, only just enough to bring him along the shore road and through the willow-guarded gateway. He had no thought, as he walked slowly between the two big trees, that they marked the door to a new phase in his life, that they were to prove the entrance to adventures of an unknown kind. He merely trudged along, frowning at the sun that shone too brightly on the dazzling blue water, and at the wind that blew too sharply in his face. Somebody was walking up the path before him, so he slackened his pace a little, having no wish to overtake him. As far as he could judge, it was a boy of about twenty-one or so, very fair-haired, with broad shoulders and well-shaped hands hanging from sleeves, a trifle too short. He carried a bag of tools and was whistling gaily some intricate tune of trills and runs as he walked along. As he turned to look out to sea, Billy saw that he had a pleasant face, cheerful, intelligent, and rather sensitive. He stood for a minute, though without seeing Billy, then walked on again, swinging his bag and piping his music in the very best of spirits. A bobolink was swinging on the branch of a bush that leaned over the wall. The merry black and white fellow was a new bird to Billy, so he stopped to look at it more closely. Around the curve of a low knoll, Captain Salsby's house came into view. 
It was an oddly shaped little dwelling, so surrounded with trees and bushes that there was not much to be seen of it, except bits here and there. A peering chimney, patches of red-stained roof, a portion of grey wall, and the front door painted a bright, cheerful blue. Sloping away to the rocky point lay Captain Salsby's garden, with its rows of vegetables and shrubs and flowers. Captain Salsby himself was sitting in an armchair on the wide, stone doorstep. But alas, he did not look in the least as Billy had expected. He had pictures of old sailors as being white-haired, but sturdy and upright, dressed in blue clothes and moving with a rolling walk or sitting to stare out to sea through a brass telescope. Captain Salsby's hair was not exactly white. It was indeed no particular colour on earth. He wore shabby overalls, a world too big even for his vast shoulders, and he had carpet slippers instead of picturesque sea boots. Yet the flavour of the sea somehow clung to him after all, brought out, perhaps, by the texture of his face, which was red and weather-beaten, with the skin wrinkled and thickened to the consistency of alligator leather, and by his huge rough hands that resembled nothing so much as the gnarled and stunted willow trees at his gate. Instead of grasping a telescope, he was holding a bright blue sock, which he was mending as deftly, as though well used to the task. The darning needle seemed lost between his big fingers, but it went in and out with great speed, pushed by a sailor's palm instead of a thimble. That, Billy thought, was the only really nautical thing about him. Good afternoon, Johann Haps, the captain called cheerily as the first of his visitors came in. Then, peering over his spectacles at Billy, he added, Who's that behind you? You're Miss Matty Pearson's nephew now, I'll be bound, remarked the old man, surveying Billy carefully from head to foot as he came closer. She told me all about you where you had meant to go this summer, and how you came here instead, and maybe weren't going to like us here on Appledore Island. Johan, look at that frown on his face. I don't think he has sized us up very fair so far, do you? Well, he'll learn. His plans for this summer had been to camp out in the Rockies, to climb mountains, to ride horseback, fish in the roaring, ice-cold little trout streams and to shoot grouse when the season came around. His father and mother had promised him just such a program. They were all three to carry it out together, being the three most congenial camping comrades that ever lived. However, sudden developments of business due to the war in Europe and the necessity of turning in other directions for trade had called his father to South America at just the season 
when Billy could not leave school to go also. It was during the Easter vacation when he had travelled from his school in the Middle West to New York to see his father and mother off on their long voyage. Then he had gone back unwillingly to face continuous days of missing them and of rebelling vainly against the destruction of his hopes for the summer. When Miss Massey Pearson, his mother's sister, had invited her reluctant nephew to stay at Appledore, she must have realized that the resources of the hotel and the little fishing village that the island boasted would scarcely be sufficient to satisfy him. She seemed to have been thinking of Captain Salsby even when she wrote her first letter, for she had said, I hope you will find one companion, at least, who will interest you. She had a great affection for the gruff old sailor, but must have felt that he and the boy were bound to become friends. And now Billy, standing before the captain himself, shifting uneasily from foot to foot, and looking into those small, twinkling blue eyes, was beginning, much to his surprise, to feel the same thing. There are some strawberries down yonder in the best patch that I've been saving for your aunt, the old man went on. I'm glad you came along, for this isn't one of my spry days, and I couldn't carry them up to the hotel myself. I've been expecting Jackie Shute to take them, but he hasn't turned up. You didn't see him, did you, Johan, as you came along? No, replied Johan hastily. I'll go in and mend the clock now, if you don't mind, Captain Salsby, he said, perhaps in the desire to escape further questioning. Go right in and do anything you like to it, the old man returned. And meanwhile, this young fellow and I will go down and get the berries. Just reach me that basket of boxes, will you? Give me a hand up out of this chair and we'll be off. The clock is ticking away as steadily as old father time himself. But I suppose you will find some tinkering to do. He took up the heavy wooden stick that leaned against his chair and that looked as rough and knobby and weather-worn as himself. With Johan's help, he rose slowly from his seat making Billy quite gasp at the full sight of how big he was. Yet, he would have been much bigger could he have stood upright. But, in his advancing years, his back was crooked and his shoulders bowed. He wrinkled his forehead and breathed very hard as he stumped down the path. But for a few moments, he said nothing. Kind of catches me a little when I first get up, he remarked cheerfully at last. There have been three days of fog, and that's always bad for a man as full of rheumatics as I am. I hope you won't mind very much gathering the berries yourself. I find it takes me a pretty long time to stoop my old back over the rose, and some folks would rather not wait. Indeed, I don't mind replied Billy with cordial agreement to the plan. He had no reluctance in owning to himself that, however discontented he was with things in general, 
here was one person at least whom he was going to like. No, said Captain Salsby, as they reached the strawberry patch at the foot of the garden. Eat as many as you can, and fill the boxes as full as you can carry them away. That is what berries are made for. So, go to it. This invitation was no difficult one to accept. The berries were big, and ripe, and sweet, and warm with the warmth of the pleasant June day. It was still and hot there in the sun, and with no sound except the booming of the surf along the shore and the shrill call of a katydid in the hedge at Billy's elbow. The glittering sea stretched out on each side of them, for Captain Salsby's garden lay along the point that formed the northernmost end of Appledore Island. A coasting schooner, her decks piled high with new, yellow lumber, came beating into the wind on one side of the rocky headland, finally doubled it and, spreading her sails wing and wing, went skimming away before the breeze. Billy, whose whole knowledge of boats included only canoes and square, splashing Mississippi River steamers, sat back on his heels watching, open-mouthed as the graceful craft sped off as easily as a big bird. Say, young fellow, your aunt will be waiting a long time for those berries, was Captain Salsby's drawling reminder that brought him back to his senses. He blushed, recollected quickly that he was the boy who hated the island of Appledore and everything belonging to it, and fell to picking strawberries again with his back to the schooner. The little Katie did began to sing again. That's an odd fellow, that Johann Haps, the old sailor remarked reflectively as he sat watching Billy's vigorous industry. He's a German, at least his father was, although Johann was born in this country and is as American as any one of us. He's as honest and straightforward a boy as I have ever known, and has been a friend of mine as long as I have lived here. But there is something wrong with him lately that he is keeping from me. I wish I could manage to guess what it is. Did you say men's clocks for a living? Billy asked. No, clock mending is his recreation, not his business. He's a mechanic and a good, faithful worker. But when he wants to be really happy, he just gets hold of a bunch of old rusty wheels and weights that hasn't run for twenty years and works at them by the hour. To see him tinkering would show you where his real genius is. He gave me a clock that belonged to his father, an old thing with gold roses on the face and with wooden wheels. But it runs like a millionaire's watch. He comes around once in so often to see if it is doing its duty, and does six fits if it has lost a second in a couple of weeks. He's a funny fellow. Then he isn't a fisherman, commented Billy. I thought that everyone who lived on the island was that. Almost everyone is. 
except that boy and me, answered the captain. No, Johan isn't a fisherman. But you never saw anyone in your life who can sail a boat the way he can. That's his little craft anchored off the point there. She's the very apple of his eye. Just see how he keeps her. I do believe he would give her a new coat of paint every week if he could afford it. He's surely proud of her. He was so happy with her a little while back that I can't understand what has come over him now. He sat staring at the little boat until Billy finally had filled his boxes and had risen to his feet. I've picked all these for Aunt Mattie, he said, and I've eaten about twice as many besides. Now, won't you let me pick some for you? Why, that's good of you, returned the old man gratefully. I won't deny that it is easier to work sitting here and watching you gather them than to try to get the pesky things myself. I don't need any myself, but I did want to send some to Mrs. Shute over beyond the creek. They're just ripe for putting up now, and will be almost too ripe in another day. That rascal Jackie should have taken them, but there's no knowing where he is. I'll pick them and take them to her, if you will tell me the way, Billy assured him. Don't say no, I would really like to. The boxes filled rapidly, to the accompaniment of much earnest talk between Billy and his new friend. He learned how little to be relied upon was Jackie Shute, the captain's assistant gardener. What an unusual number of summer visitors on the island there were, owing to the war in Europe, and the impossibility of people's going abroad. What a cold, windy spring it had been, very bad for vegetables, and for the poppies that were the pride of Appledore Gardens, but great for sailing the old man concluded, wistfully. When the berries were ready, the captain came with Billy to the edge of the garden to show him the way. Beyond the point, on its western shoreline, was a stretch of curving beach cut into a deep harbour by the mouth of a little stream. We crossed that meadow above the rocks the captain directed, and go straight on down to the creek. You will find a row of stepping stones that makes almost a bridge. The tide is nearly dead low, so it will certainly be uncovered, and you can cross without trouble. The stream is the Mill Creek, and that building you see on the other side, among the trees, is the old mill. You go up from the creek, right past the mill door and follow the road that leads through the woods. The first lane that turns off from that will take you to the chutes, so you see you can't miss the way. They have a nice girl, Sally Shute. I hope she'll be at home, for I know you'll like her. She's worth twenty of Jackie, that worthless young brother of hers. He turned back to the garden. Well, goodbye. I know you won't have any trouble getting there. But don't stay too long. The tide is pretty quick to cover the causeway over the creek. And then you will have to walk five miles around by the high road. 
I will see when you come back, and I surely am obliged to you. Billy set off with his load of boxes under his arm, stepping carefully through the tall grass of the meadow, where daisies nodded in white profusion, and bayberries and brambles grew thickly along the stony edge of the field. He came presently in sight of the stream and the bridge-like stepping stones, finding them, as Captain Salsby had said, just uncovered by the dropping tide. One huge rock jutted far out into the water at the edge of the little harbour, and here he found himself tempted to stop a minute, staring at the foaming green water, then to climb down from ledge to ledge, and finally to seat himself just above where the surf was breaking. How cool and deep the tumbling waves were, how they came rolling solemnly in, and then seemed to hesitate for one short second before they broke and sent spattering showers up to his very feet. He must go on, of course. He was really ashamed to delay longer. He would just watch another breaker come in, and then another, and another, so that he might see those shining rainbows that came and went in the sunlit spray. He heard something scurry and scuttle across the rock nearby him, and as he looked over the edge, saw a slim brown mink come out of a hole and stop to look up at him. He laughed and turned to go. Billy's passage over the causeway was a hasty and somewhat perilous one for the rocks were overgrown with thick, brown seaweed and still wet from the falling tide. Considering what a hurry he was in and how many times he looked back over his shoulder, it was quite remarkable that he made the crossing without mishap. He walked up a strip of sandy beach, climbed up a steep bank and came into the cool, dark pine woods. The faint marks of an old road showed before him, covered with a rusty brown carpet of fallen needles and leading past the big, grey, empty mill of which the captain had spoken. He followed along it, turned down the lane as directed, and tramped some distance straight through the forest. The tall black trees towering above him and the partridge berries trailing around pine and slender swinging Indian pines growing thick beneath his feet. It was more than a mile, perhaps nearly two, that he covered before he observed a clearing ahead of him and then came suddenly to the edge of the woods and to the shore again. A very neat brown cottage stood in the open space, 
with a garden around it. A fence of white palings and the green gate at the end of the lane. Beyond the house he could see grey rocks, a little pier stretching out into the water, a fishing boat at anchor, and, as a background to everything, the bright, sunlit sea. He opened the gate and came slowly through the garden. A little girl was stooping over one of the round flower beds, picking pansies into her white apron. She was a short and solid little person, with thick yellow braids, very round pink cheeks, and, as she looked up at him, a most cordial, welcoming smile. I'm Sally Sheet, she announced somewhat abruptly and without a particle of shyness. Then, as Billy hesitated, I believe I would like to know who you are. I'm Billy Wentworth, and I brought these strawberries from Captain Salsby, the boy answered, a little abashed at this sudden plunge into the business of getting acquainted. The captain said he was sorry not to send them sooner, could not seem to think of anything else to say that was of special importance, so turned to go. Wait, Sally commanded, in the tone of one who was used to having her orders obeyed. I must take the berries to my mother and have her empty them out, because Captain Salsby will want his boxes back again. And I think, here she looked him over solemnly from head to foot, I think that you look thirsty. Billy grinned and admitted that there might be some reason for that appearance. Getting acquainted with Sally was as rapid a process as had been getting acquainted with Captain Salsby. A tall glass of cold milk and the plate of fresh gingerbread certainly put an end to any formalities between them and the expedition down to the hen house to see the new brood of deliciously round, fat ducklings carried them far on the road toward friendship. Billy thought that the ducks looked rather like Sally herself. They were so small and yellow, and so very sure of themselves, but he did not summon the courage to say so. Next, they went down to the pier to see the biggest fish you ever saw that my father brought in last night. This, Billy felt, was more worth showing him than were mere ducklings, but he did not admit being impressed by the size of the fish, although in truth it was a monster nearly as long as the dory that held it. He stood passing his hand over the slippery surface of its silver scales, and listening to the thrilling tale of its capture, recounted by Sally, with as much spirit as though she herself had been present. She broke off in the middle of her story, however, to exclaim, Gracious, I'm keeping you here until maybe the tide will be over the causeway, and you can't get back. That would never do, 
they hurried up to the house, gathered the berry boxes together in haste, and went toward the gate.